This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Not lagging in diligence. In other words, there needs to be this faithful consistence of going and continuing moving on. Not slacking up, not lagging behind, but continually, faithfully, with diligence, doing these things. And then he speaks of fervorance and spirit. And again, that idea and that thought is, there is this fire, there is this passion, this desire in my heart, that these things would be done in my life for the benefit and for the blessing of the body of Christ. Join us today as Pastor David teaches through Paul's exhortations to all believers regards to being steadfast and fervent in the Spirit. The only way you can grow in holiness and grow in love is if you're first fervent in spirit and steadfast. All of the commands and exhortations in the Bible require steadfastness. It's very easy to start off the right way, but are you still actively pursuing those godly characteristics to this day? Don't sprint and burn out. Run the race with endurance. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 11, with our continuing study entitled, Living as a Sacrifice. Giving preference to one another. You see, I give preference, I lift up another, I serve another more than myself. And it's only through that is that kindness, that love, that kind of a relationship really demonstrated. Well, he builds on that thought in the next verse as he goes, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's interesting in all three of these, not lagging in diligence. In other words, there needs to be this faithful consistence of going and continually moving on, not slacking up, not lagging behind, but continually faithfully with diligence doing these things. And then he speaks of fervorance and spirit. And again, that idea and that thought is there is this fire, there is this passion, this desire in my heart that these things would be done in my life for the benefit and for the blessing of the body of Christ. And then thirdly, he says, serving the Lord. Well, all of these things come about the fact that in doing them, I am serving the Lord. I present my body as a living sacrifice. It is service to the Lord. I, again, bless the body of Christ in service to the Lord. I come and I give love without hypocrisy in service to the Lord. I abhor what's evil. I cling to what's good. I'm kindly affectionate. I give brotherly love. And through all of this, I'm doing it in service to the Lord. And that is the very focus of my life. And what he's saying here is three things. Essentially, we need to live our lives with a faithfulness, with a fire, and with a focus that demonstrates to the world outside that this is more than just a club that we've joined. This is a transformed life, and it is the reality of Jesus Christ to the world outside of the church. The world outside the church will know the reality of Jesus Christ and our relationship to him by our love one for another. Well, let's move on. One of the ways he says here is that we are to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. 
these three areas we look at in verse 12, how important they are that we continue to rejoice in hope. We continue to be patient in tribulation, continue to be steadfast in prayer. But you know what? The only way I believe that we can do these three is if we reverse them. That if first... We are steadfast in prayer. And it's only when I'm steadfast in prayer can I really have patience in tribulation. And only through that steadfastness in prayer and patience through tribulation can I then rejoice in the hope of what God's going to do through this whole mess that we call our lives. In all the situations that we run into, that when I'm steadfast in prayer, when I'm in communication with my Father, that I know that in the midst of tribulation, I can have patience. I can wait because I know that this is only for a season. It's only for a time, and my life is entrusted into His care. And I rejoice in the hope that I know that He's knowledgeable of these things as I live my life toward Him. For our lives as believers... The overall caring for the body of Christ is focused on this next area, hospitality. He says, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Our lives being open, our lives sharing, our lives caring, our lives giving to the people that God brings into our lives. We have to do that. And as he says uh, in that whole idea, given to hospitality, actively pursuing it, actively pursuing hospitality. I tell you what, I am blessed as pastor of this church because I have seen this heart, this attitude working in so many people's lives. Now, first of all, I know that we're all to be given to hospitality. But I also know that there are some who are even gifted beyond that in that area of hospitality. It's listed as one of the gifts we looked at last week. But all of us should be actively pursuing hospitality. And what a blessing it is to know that in this congregation, there are those who say, you know what, I've got an extra room at my house. Do you need a place to live? Come and live with me. It's what a blessing it is to know that in this congregation, there are individuals that say, you know what, we've got a couple of cars. Your vehicle isn't working here. Go and use my car. What a blessing it is to know that in this congregation, within you people, there are individuals who will come up to me as a pastor with an envelope and say, you know what, this is for so-and-so. I heard that they're struggling because they're either low on hours or they're unemployed. Please just give this to them. Don't let them know who this came from. And you are blessing individuals in a multitude of ways. People who will come and show up in care and concern for one another. Fixing meals for individuals who have been in the hospital to help them get back on their feet. To go and clean houses for ones who are going through, again, physical problems and situations in their lives. Those who would show up at the doorstep of someone who's going to move and suddenly they've got 10 or 12 men or women who are willing to take out of their time out of their comfort zone, out of their free time, to come and demonstrate the love of Christ in the life of one individual. And you don't think that that doesn't impact the neighbors around that one? We know it does because we've heard the testimonies of neighbors who have gone to ones that we've even helped move. Say, man, who are those that came in and helped you? Oh, those were people from our church. And then they will respond back, man, 
I wish my church would do something like that. Or I wish I had people in my life that were like that. The practical, not theological, but the practical implications, attitudes, and actions of your and my life hidden in Christ, but displayed for the world to see in an ongoing way that means, yes, I am sacrificing my life to demonstrate the love of Christ to the body of Christ. Well, now he moves on to lesson number five, that love being manifested in the world outside the church. Real quickly, we'll look at verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and don't be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul gives us, first of all, an active and a positive response to those who are against us. And beloved, I know that there are those who are against us. There are those who will come and try to persecute you. There are those who will come and they will curse you and say all matter of evil against you, as Jesus says, falsely for his name's sake. I know that in this world we are going to have enemies. How do we respond to those enemies? Paul gives us a very active, a very positive response for that. In sincerity of heart, first of all, we're to speak well of those who persecute us. And that's difficult to do. I know that. I understand that. I have to deal with this myself. And like I said earlier, it is an impossible task in the flesh. It's only possible when, again, I realize, you know what? I'm dead. I'm dead to the world, and I'm dead before Christ. Let Christ live through me. And so, when one comes and they persecute, I am going to bless. When they curse, I'm going to bless. He says, don't speak harsh against those who have wronged you. And you might be thinking this morning, well, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. How in the world am I going to let people just walk all over me and say whatever they want to against me? Why, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Where in the world does Paul think he gets this from? Well, he gets it from Jesus. And if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we read in Matthew chapter 5 these words. Jesus, as you've heard it said... You will love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I'm going to mess this all up for you, Jesus said in essence. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, real quick, I need to add that these words are on a personal level. This is not a national level level. This is a personal level. How do I personally respond to someone who is personally attacking me? I bless my enemy. I do good to them when they do bad to me. 
I share the love of Christ through the demonstration of my life and my unwillingness to do tit for tat, to again, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. By my unwillingness to do that, I demonstrate the reality of Christ, who, again, was taken to the slaughter like a sheep, voiceless, with no word, no complaint. He went because, again, he was sacrificed himself for the Father, again, for the sin of the world. And now I'm living my life as a living sacrifice. And in living my life as a living sacrifice, I'm demonstrating the reality of who Christ is to a lost and dying world. In your life, you're going to constantly interact with those also who rejoice and those who weep. And as I shared, I believe, last week, a lot of times it's easier for us to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because you know what? If I'm down, and if I've been beaten down, and if I'm struggling in my life, and there's a lot of weight going on in me, and somebody comes in and they've got the happy face on, and they're all smiles and they're rejoicing, it's really tough for me to suddenly say, well, forget about my troubles. I'm just going to rejoice with you, man, how great that is. And all the time, man, I'm just being beaten down. That is the harder of the two to do. I really believe it is because, again, I've got to sacrifice the fact that, hey, I've been wounded here and you've got everything going for you. You ought to be down here with me. And we want to bring everybody down into our own private little pity party instead of, again, rejoicing with those who rejoice. But on the other hand, this idea of weeping with those who weep, Sometimes it's way too easy to say, oh, brother, I feel so sorry for you. Oh, sister, I, man, I, I, I grieve with you. And then that's it, and we walk off from there. Do we really weep? Do we really grieve? Do we really care? Are we really touched with compassion in such a way that it moves us to action in the lives of individuals? This rejoicing and weeping is much more than a ha-ha-ha-oh-boo-hoo. No, this is, again, an action, taking an action of how we interact and we respond with people around us. This is real deal stuff. Not theology, but practicality. He goes on to speak, I believe, in the next verse, primarily about those who, uh, uh, with an attitude back to the idea of believers, He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and don't be wise in your own opinion. Part of this speaks about, in the again, the writing of the book of James, where we're to, again, even associate with with the humble and not setting ourselves up so high, but also this fact of don't think so highly of yourself, as he shared earlier. Because again, the body of Christ working together, the giftedness and the calling of the body of Christ together, so many times brings such richness to us. That man, I've got to be willing to receive from you. And I've got to be willing to accept. Rather than say, you know what, i got it all together and I really don't need an input from anybody. I know. And yet God might use the most humblest of servants, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, through that one to speak into your life the very truth that you're unwilling to listen to because you think you got it all together. And you're wise in your own opinion. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all. Paul makes two great points here. Number one, to meet a wrong with a wrong is only to increase the wrong. You understand that? To meet a wrong with a wrong is only to increase the wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right, the old story goes or the old saying goes. I wish 
that more of the people that we counsel in marriage counseling would simply take this verse to heart. Don't meet a wrong with a wrong. Repay no one evil for evil. If that's how we're supposed to deal with the outside world, if that's how we're supposed to deal with our enemies, how much more are we to deal with those who are our husbands or our wives, who are to be our one flesh? If we're to bless even our enemies, how much more should I bless my spouse even though they've said something or done something against me? Beloved, this works even more powerfully in the understanding of marriage. Again, to meet a wrong with a wrong is only to increase the wrong. It does nothing to bring about resolution. It does nothing to bring about peace. As a matter of fact, if you really want to get rid of an enemy, you want to know how to get rid of an enemy, then make them your friend. Make them your friend. That's the only way that you can get rid of an enemy. Too often, it's too easy to just write them off and say, well, I won't think about them. I won't talk to them. I won't do anything. They are just dead to me. And that is the wrong attitude. When Jesus says that I'm to bless those, it's not blessing them by, well, you just won't see my face anymore. It's by taking proactive action toward building relationship. Well, we go on, go through some of these others. He says, Verse 18, if possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. And I love what he says. If it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, I mean, your part in this thing, live peaceably with all men. In other words, don't let the fault be on your end that you're not living in peace with another individual. There are going to be some people that living at peace with them is just not going to happen. They will not allow it. But what he's saying, if possible, as far as it be, as far as it depends upon you, do everything that you can so that the fault will not and cannot go back to you. That when, again, the, the, all the accounts come in, it comes back to you and says, man, there's absolutely, I find no fault. There's nothing there that they have done. And yet the battle still increases. Then where does the fault go? But he speaks on and he says in verse 19, Don't avenge yourselves. Give place to the Lord. It's written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And then he quotes in verse Proverbs, or in Proverbs 25, he quotes, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Well, in order to understand verse 20, you really need to see it in the context of all that Paul is speaking about here. There are differing ideas and thoughts on commentators about the meaning of this verse. Some say that what Paul is saying by that heaping coals of fire on his head, it's the idea of assisting them in a time of need and repaying their evil with a good. And the thought goes back to the early days, back when the proverb was written, or even in the time of the Bible, where matches were not available. And the requirement of each home was to keep their home fires burning. And if my home fire went out, it would necessitate my need to go to my neighbor with my fire pot, and usually there would be a mat on the head, place the fire pot on the head, walk over, ask them, can I have some of your fire to rekindle the fire in my own home? And they would place coals from their fire into your fire pot, you'd place it back on your head, and you would go back over. And in essence, 
Some say that when Paul says, do good to these guys, feed your enemy, uh, give drink to your enemy, because in doing so you're heaping coals of fire on his head, you're repaying him a good even though he's been bad to you. That's one thought on it. Another thought on it is, is that you are, in doing good deeds, you are burning their conscience by your continually doing good deeds rather than repaying the bad. That is literally burning their conscience to the point in time that eventually as they continue to do bad and you never repay the bad with a bad, but you continue to do good, that suddenly their minds will wake up and understand there's something different about that individual. The third idea and the thought on this is that by pla- that you would be placing them under a greater judgment due to their lack of repentance, even in view of your refusing to seek vengeance. In other words, they've done bad to me. I'm going to continue to do good. But because they don't repent, they're actually going to be on a heavier judgment, that the coals of fire are going to be even hotter on them in the judgment. So of these three, uh, I can see reasonings for all three. But for me personally, I believe the best interpretation is the second one, that we put just there is a burning of conscience because I'm going to continue to do good. I'm not looking for a greater judgment against this one. No, I want to show the love of Christ to that one. And in continually showing that love, Lord, burn their conscience to help them understand, I'm doing this because of you. And open their hearts up to the truth of the gospel. And in the last verse, he says, Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I are to live our lives as overcomers. Overcomers against every attack of the enemy that would come our way. Paul says back in Romans chapter 8, he says, In all of these things, all of these persecutions, all of these trials, all of these condemnations that would come along our lives, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And the only way that we become more than conquerors is is when we become overcomers. In other words, we are not being defeated by these things. We are overcoming them. We are overcoming the evil that is present, maybe in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, by the good that we are going to do in to them and with them. We are overcoming the evil of the world outside by continually being the light and the salt of Jesus Christ to the world, even when it is the most difficult thing we have to do. And because it requires that we die daily to our own desires, to our own life, to our own plan, to our own purpose, to my own rights. Beloved, I know this isn't an easy thing to hear. But it's the true thing to hear. And it's the difficult thing to hear. And like I said, it is impossible unless you and I live our lives daily as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. It's the logical thing to do. It's the rational thing to do in view of all that Christ has done on our behalf. Amen? Wow. Amen? All right, all right. It's kind of like, amen. Yeah, I guess I guess I got to do that then. You're going to do one of uh, a couple of things with a message like this. One is you're going to walk out the door and say, I'm glad that's over. Let's go to lunch and not think about it the rest of the week. 
Or you might go out and say, you know what he said was really true, and I really need to do that, and so I'm going to really try that, and you're going to make it through about, oh, 4 o'clock this afternoon and realize you can't make it and you can't do it. Or thirdly, and my hope and prayer is, is that you'll know, you'll understand. It's only by the Spirit of God as I release myself to him and I lay myself before him. And when I fail this week, that I go back and I pick up that cross again, I die again, and I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again, and I continue to do it in order that God might receive the glory and that the world around us might know that we are his disciples because of our love, one for another. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.